Well, good morning. I'm John Schmidt. I'm a senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. And uh, today we are concluding our series entitled, It's All About Relationships with God and Others. And today I want to talk about a dimension of relationships that all of us will one day face. And that is dealing with death. Dealing with the parting uh, of the ones we love through death. Uh, And inside your bulletin today you'll find um, an outline of where I'm headed. A number of truths that are important for us to understand about how Christians deal with death. How does that fit into a relationship series? Well, it has everything to do with relationships. The longer you live, the more often you see this happen. Some of you here in here this morning lost a loved one already this year. And it's been very painful for you. Others of us, uh, it will happen to us this next year. We will lose someone who's very close to us because we live in a fallen world. When sin entered the world, death also entered the world. But this is why those of us who are Christians who claim Christ as our Lord and Savior worship him because he came into the world to overcome sin and death. And that's what he did for us on the cross. He overcame sin. And when he rose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning, he conquered death as well. And it's the reason we praise him. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. Well, then it would be wrong for us not to talk about, well, how do we handle it when Christians face death? The Bible is our guide in all matters of faith and practice. You'll hear me say that many times. And it's no exception when it comes to this topic. Jesus himself dealt with the death of a close friend, a friend by the name of Lazarus. And today I want to tell you how Jesus handled that situation. And as we read through the story together, there are some principles and some applications for us that I don't want us to miss. Would you have a word of prayer with me, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today to look at your word, to look at uh, the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus on this most important topic. There's not a one of us here who's immune uh, to the consequences of sin in our world. We will all die. And it may be soon or it may be a few years from now, but all of us will lose a loved one when they die. And how we come to terms with that, how we deal with that is very important. And so I thank you, Lord, that Jesus um, showed us how to handle some things and taught us some important truths in the story we're going to discuss today so we can deal with death accurately. I pray, Lord, that you will speak, that you'll move me out of the way and bring us words of comfort and of hope and of clear direction on how to deal with death. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Uh, If you need a pen to fill out the blanks that are in your uh, outline, Just raise your hand. One of our ushers will be coming up and down the aisles, and they'll be glad to uh, toss a pen to you so you can fill out um, those items and take some notes in the margin. The first point on your outline is simply this. It's what I've mentioned already, that Jesus knows what it's like to lose a loved one. It does matter, by the way, that Jesus became flesh. The Bible tells us the Word, the living Word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus did dwell among us. He was raised from a baby became a young boy, and then became a man. And during that process, he experienced everything we've experienced, including losing, the lo- losing a good friend, Lazarus, when he died. John uh, records this incident for us, and it's an amazing story because Jesus performs a mighty miracle in association with Lazarus' death. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick, and these are some selected verses from John 11. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. So the three of them were together, uh, two sisters and one brother. And so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Jesus was very close to this family. And when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. 
And Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. At the end of those two days, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. They were on the other side of the Jordan River at the time. Let's go back to Judea. Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. And that brings us to an important life application right here in this story. God wants us to trust his plan and his timing. And if you'd add in the words, trust his plans, but also below that, trust his timing for us and for our loved ones. Jesus waited two days after he heard that Lazarus was sick, and then he began the journey. And as you'll see in a minute, he knew full well what was going to happen, and he knew that Lazarus, by the time he got there, would be dead. But Jesus had a plan, and it was going to bring great glory to God. In fact, as the story unfolds, many of you are familiar with this story, he raises Lazarus from the dead, and it allows people to come to understand Jesus and his power and his identity in a way they could never have understood in any other way. And God asks us to trust his plans for our lives and for our loved ones as well. Isaiah 55, Isaiah is quoting the Lord here. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are beyond anything you could imagine. And there are so many times in our lives when our loved ones or we ourselves go through setbacks and pain and we go, God, this can't be right. Why are you delaying? Only to realize a month later or sometimes years later, oh my goodness, the greatest blessing in the world was that God did not answer that prayer. I mean, Garth Brooks had a song years ago entitled, I Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. Does anybody remember this song? Yeah. And some of us have prayed prayers like, oh God, give me this promotion. Oh God, give me this job. Give me this job. And then we don't get it and go, God, where were you? And then we find out and we took the other job, the company that we originally wanted to go with, it went under and God spared us. Incredible pain. And we go, oh, thank you, Lord. Sorry I was so grumbling and mad at you about all that. And if we're willing to trust the Lord, even though we can't understand his ways all the time, he says, look, trust me on this. Paul talks about this in uh, Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything, if you underline the word everything, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. About 10 years ago, a man came to see me. He was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He had um, watched some of the sermons I delivered on television. He said, I need to get right with Jesus. And so he said, I only have a few months to live. And he, we, he knelt down and we prayed together right there in my office that he'd give his heart to the Lord he said, what do I need to do now? And I said, well, you need to make amends to people you've hurt. And he goes, oh, I don't know if I have that long, okay? And he had, really, he had been a rough customer. And he made a list, and he went down the list and went and visited people and said he was sorry for a lot of things. Well, sure enough, the diagnosis was correct, and he only lived a few months. And before he died, we visited again. And I said, well, tell me something you're grateful for in your life. He said, I'm grateful for pancreatic cancer. I had never heard that before. He said, it's caused me great pain. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I never would have gotten right with the Lord. I never would have gotten right with my loved ones had this not happened. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. God asks us to trust him. Lord, Lazarus is sick. Yeah, let's, let's wait. Okay, let's go now. But Lord, he's dead now. Yeah, I know, but there's something amazing that's about to happen. 
And you guys aren't going to understand who I am unless we've gone through this process. God's plans are bigger than our plans. And sometimes the very things that cause us pain are the things that open up incredible opportunities for God to display his grace and his power to many others. Some of the greatest heroes in the Bible, Joseph and Daniel and Moses, they all went through long periods of pain, things where they couldn't understand what God was up to in their lives at all. But they trusted him. And because they were willing to hang on to him, God used them to do mighty miracles that brought him great glory. And God asks us to do the same. Well, the story continues, and there's a second point I want to bring out. And when we deal with death, we need to remember that Jesus knows what it's like to lose a loved one. He also knows this, or Jesus is, let me put it this way, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus doesn't know a little bit about life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's who he is. He's God in the flesh, the source of life. On his arrival, when he got back to Bethany, this town outside of Jerusalem, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Now when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, well, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, I am. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you'd underline that, please. I mean, the, the emphasis is proper there. Well, I know he'll rise on the last day at the resurrection. Martha, I am the resurrection. I am life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Well, yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. But she hadn't even thought of what was about to happen. And she did not fully comprehend. She knew Jesus could have healed her brother, but she had never, it had never crossed her mind what it would mean to have the source of life itself standing directly in front of you. And the miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead that's about to happen had never, it hadn't even dawned on her. Now there's a life application for you and me. We must also believe that Jesus is the life. This is central to what it means to be a Christian. Not that Jesus, again, knows a little bit about life. Not that Jesus sells life insurance, okay? You and I must believe that Jesus is life. He's the source of life. He's God in the flesh. It's important that we comprehend this. Elsewhere, Jesus said, this, said the same thing to his disciples on another, occasion, on another occasion. He told them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. The reason that we are sticklers about that is because there is no one else to whom we can turn to who is the source of life. Jesus wasn't just a great teacher who knew a little bit about it. He's God. In the flesh. And when he speaks, worlds come into being. When he says, let there be light, there's light. And when he gives life, it comes to pass. Paul marveled at this um, in his letter to the Corinthians, in the letter we call 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 
He said, you know, there are other people who worship other gods. He said, some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But we know there is only one God, the Father, who created everything, and we live for him. And there's only one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom God made everything and through whom we have been given life. In some translation it says, through whom we exist. All things were made by him and for him, and he holds the whole universe together. He's the power supply. And this is central to our faith. At the beginning of the service, we baptized some people. And when we set up this baptism pool, and we baptize people, we don't want you to miss the symbolism. They're dressed in white. And the reason why is, and they're dipped in the water, and it shows that our sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus when he died on the cross for our sins. After Jesus' body was taken down from the cross and placed in the tomb, he was placed in the ground, and on the third day he rose again. And so we say we put our faith in him, the one who conquered our sins on the cross and who conquered death on Easter Sunday morning. We follow him. I've died to my old life. We dip him in the water. I now live for Jesus. But there's one more important dimension to the symbolism here. When my mortal body dies, I'll rise again and I'll have a new body that will never die again because I know Jesus, the one who conquered death. That is the wonderful news we proclaim. And we have hope because of this. And we must believe this. And that's why Jesus says to Martha, well, yeah, Lord, I know he'll raise on the last day at the resurrection. Martha, I am the resurrection. And she grasped what she could, but the disciples also, the Lord said, you need to see this, guys. This had to happen so you would fully comprehend who I am. And the story goes on. Jesus knows what it's like to lose a loved one. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And the third thing we need to remember when we're facing the death of a loved one is, is that Jesus understands grief and pain. He gets it. He understands it. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was, the other sister came and she saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The same thing her sister said. We've seen you do miracles before, but Lord, why did you delay? And when Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come along with her, also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. If you have to claim a verse to memorize quickly, you always claim John 11.35, Jesus wept. Okay? Because you can memorize it. It's two words. Shortest verse in the whole Bible. But I would rather you not remember it just because it's the shortest verse in the Bible, but that you would remember it because it allows us to understand the heart of Jesus. He understands grief and pain. And we saw all the people weeping and the sisters weeping over the one that he himself loved. He cried as well. Isaiah 53, and Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah had predicted this 500 years before Jesus was born. Here's what he said about Jesus. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. Does Jesus understand grief? Oh, you bet he does. Now remember, I mean, he lived our lives. He ate our food, breathed our air, drank our water, spoke our language. He knows what it's like to lose a close friend. He knows what it's like to experience the deepest grief. And he knows even goes one better. 
Jesus not only knows what it's like to have a friend die, Jesus knows what it's like to die himself. And he did that for us on the cross. And don't ever forget that. It matters because when you and I experience grief and pain, we don't pray to a Lord who doesn't get us. We don't pray to a Lord who kind of wound the earth up and then set it off spinning out somewhere in our solar system. Maybe one day he'll check in on us. We worship a God who created each one of us, who knows the very hairs on our head, who came into this world and understands us, who's experienced our grief. He can relate to us. If there's anyone in the whole world you can come to when you and I are hurting, it's Jesus. The writer of Hebrews said, We do not have a high priest who's able, unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. He went through every circumstance, every trying circumstance, and he handled it rightly. And people ask me, so if I'm a believer and I believe that someone will rise again, is it bad if I cry? No, Jesus did. The sorrow is overwhelming. The pain that's brought about by sin and death in this world touched Jesus deeply. He's acquainted with the most bitter form of grief. He gets it. And that's why the life application is written there. You and I must bring all of our cares to Jesus. Sometimes when I'm doing a funeral and I'm talking with people and uh, an uncle or a friend or their brother or sister has just died and they are angry. They're angry at God and they're angry at life and they're angry because they feel like this all was the most horrible timing and they go, and the worst part about it is I can't even talk to God about it because I'm mad at him and I don't want him to know. I go, well, he knows about it anyway, okay? I'll let you in on a secret. He's figured it out. They go, yeah, but can I tell God I'm mad at him? Sure you can. Tell him, I don't understand what you're doing. Why did this happen? Come to him just like the sisters did. Lord, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't happen. Why did you allow this? How can I see my way through this? What do I do? The Lord can handle questions like that. And he offers us hope. In fact, Jesus said, Jesus invited this. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you'll find rest for your soul. You'll find it. Psalm 55 reminds us that we are to cast our cares on the Lord and he will sustain us. He will never let the righteous fall. We cast our cares upon Jesus. He'll see us through. If there's anyone in the whole universe who understands what it's like to lose a loved one, if there's anyone who understands the deepest pit of grief, the darkest night, the most painful part of the whole process, it's Jesus. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? We have a wonderful friend who will walk us through the valley of the shadow of death and be right there with us. His name is Jesus. So Jesus knows what it's like to lose a loved one. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus understands grief and pain. And when we talk about dealing with death and relationships, we also need to understand something else, that Jesus does not understand unbelief. He understands all about grief and pain. The thing he doesn't understand is why people have such a hard time believing in him. 
and why people who say they believe in him don't really trust him. This is the part that puzzles him. Numerous places in the scripture, Jesus would perform miracles, and it says that he marveled at the unbelief of people. You're about to see it here again as this story uh, continues. Well, some of the Jews who'd come with Martha and Mary to the tomb and seen Jesus weeping, they said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, well, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? I mean, if he's this miracle worker, how come he didn't keep his own friend from dying? And Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. Now, it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been, in there, he's been there for four days. Jewish custom was to bury the body the same day. They didn't embalm or refrigerate bodies after people passed away. If you remember when Jesus died on the cross, his body was taken down. That as soon as they took the body down, they carried it straight to the tomb. That was custom. And the King James has it right. After four days, it says, Martha said, by now, Lord, he stinketh. Okay? And that's an accurate translation. He would have stunketh a lot. Okay? And this would have been very dishonoring. And Jesus had asked her, Martha, do you believe this? And she said, yes. But then when the rubber met the road, when Jesus said, roll away the stone, she's going, Lord, what are you up to? He's carrying out the natural progression of what he's been saying all along, that he's the resurrection and the life. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. St. Augustine, a uh, Christian theologian who lived about 400 years after Jesus, pointed out in this story, and he's in a wonderful observation. He said, it's a good thing that Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, instead of just saying, come out. If Jesus had just said, come out, all of the people in all of the graves in the cemetery would have come forward. Because Jesus is the source of life. Lazarus, come out, and he came. Jesus is the resurrection. Before he gave the command, he said, Lord, I know that you hear me. You always hear me. I'm praying this so these people will believe in me, the one you've sent. Lazarus, come out. And then there is a startling statement. After he told him to uh, take off the grave clothes and let him go, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. Many? Why not all? That should shock you and me. I mean, what on earth? What sort of proof would you need? Many of the Jews put their faith in him because they saw a dead man come back to life. And this is the part that Jesus doesn't understand. 
In fact, up there at the top where it says that Jesus was once more deeply moved, that doesn't just mean, that word doesn't mean just that he was sad. It says that he shed the tears. That was true. But there's another part that that word in ancient Greek, it's the, the original language that the New Testament was written in. It's actually used to describe the, the noise that a horse makes when you pull on the reins and he pulls back. It's a snort. It's a... <laughs> So here are people who say they believe in God, religious people, and yet they don't believe when a dead man comes back to life. I mean, what on earth would it take? Can you imagine people who say they believe in God yet don't trust him with things? Can you imagine people who say they believe in God, that God is all-powerful, can do amazing miracles, and yet they worry like crazy every time they face an illness or an economic shortcoming or something like that? Can you imagine living in a place like that? Can you imagine people who who believe that Jesus forgives us of all our sins and he just asks us to forgive others when they've hurt us on one area and God's forgiven us all in a thousand areas and he says, hey, look, just pass it on. And we say, God, I know you can forgive me, but Lord, I will never forgive them. You can't forgive them. Can you imagine people like that? People who say they believe but don't really trust him? Unfortunately, I think we can. And God wants us to live like people who believe. He doesn't want many of us to believe that he's stronger than death. He wants all of us to believe that he's stronger than death. And there's no problem too big for him. Well, some of the people went away and they told the Jewish leaders what Jesus did. And so from that day on, the Jewish leaders plotted to take his life. Not only didn't they believe, they go, hey, all these people are following him. We've got to get rid of this guy. And the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. That's what you do with a guy who rose from the dead. Kill him again. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, think how crazy this is. But they are so consumed with jealousy, and they're so afraid of Jesus and his power, they want to do anything to eliminate him. I mean, it's pathetic, but it actually happened. And Jesus doesn't want us to live like that. So here's a life application for you and me. As believers, we must not deal with death like people who don't believe in Jesus. We must deal, not deal with any area in life. Last week we talked about dating, and we talked about the fact, I'm not talking to people who are going to deal with dating like people who don't know Jesus. I'm going to talk to you about principles of dating like people who do. Today, I'm not going to talk to you about how to handle the death of a loved one like people who don't know the Lord. They grieve and carry on, and it's the end of all things because they don't believe in eternal life. They don't believe they're going to have life everlasting. We do, because we know that Jesus conquered the grave. Dear brothers and sisters, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, I want you to know, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. We don't grieve like people who have no hope. Do we grieve and cry when people pass away? Of course we do, because we're going to be separated from them for a while. But in the midst of all that, we still have hope that we'll see them again in heaven. We'll be together with them in the presence of the Lord forever. 
Paul, otherwise, if we don't believe like that, the right, what Paul wrote in Philippians 1 doesn't even make any sense. Paul said, now for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's even better. If I'm going to go on living in this body, well, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yeah, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. If I live, I get to serve Jesus in this world. If I die, I get to go to be with Jesus in the next. I can't lose. Now that's a Christian perspective on death. Are we sad when our loved ones die? Of course we are. Do we have hope? Of course we do. We're going to see them again in heaven forever with brand new bodies that will never die again. 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Yes, we are fully confident and we'd rather be away from these bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. I mean, many people have commented about this on the back of your outline. There's one of the discussion questions. I have a quote from Helen Keller. Helen Keller had some amazing quotes. Born deaf and blind, here's what she said about death. Death is no more than passing from one room into another, but there's a difference for me, you know, because in that other room, I'll be able to see. She has hope of a brand new body because Jesus said so. And Jesus knows what he's talking about because he rose again. So then why on earth would we grieve and carry on like people who have no hope? We don't. Should we shed tears? Of course we should. We're separated for a while. Jesus himself wept at his friend's tomb. Grief and pain are real. But is there hope of eternal life? You bet there is. And it's all made possible through Jesus. Now, if that's the case, and we've prepared something for you, you can pick this up at the info desk on your way out, or you can just download it anytime from our website. It's called Leaving Your House in Order. And it's just a packet of a few documents, the first of which is a confession of faith. And I would love it if each one of us would fill this out and keep this in a safety deposit box or keep it somewhere. In the eventuality of our death, when it happens, this could be a statement that could be read at your funeral. Here's what it says. I, and then you put your name in, I, John Schmidt, confess my faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. I do hereby make it known to all my friends and family that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and that I'm a Christian. Therefore, at my death, my friends and family can rest assured that I am in heaven with my Lord and Savior. And you can sign it and you can date it. You can even witness it. And we would love it if you do that. There's also places to fill in. Here's what I want said at my funeral. I want this passage of Scripture read. And I want everybody to know this. And there's blanks for you to fill in. When you do a funeral like this, I've had several funerals in my life where people have filled this stuff out. And it is awesome. And as Christians, we don't need to be afraid of this. I mean, if you don't have faith in Christ, the last thing you want to talk about is your death. Well, I don't even want to talk about that. For us, Paul said, man, I don't know what to choose. Living here is great. Going home to be with the Lord, well, that's even better. And what a great opportunity if you and I would spend some time and prayerfully think through this and talk about, hey, what do we want said at our funerals? And I hope you'll pick one of these up. A friend of mine, when his wife passed away uh, a number of years ago, she did this. And one of the interesting things was she had left strict instructions about how the funeral service should go and even the order of the graveside. 
She said, I want everybody, I want my body and the casket to be taken to the graveside first. We're going to go to the graveside first, and there, there are going to be words said, and the body committed to the ground, and I want everybody to weep. After that, I want everybody to go back to the church, and I want a message of hope. I want to celebrate how good God is and that I'm alive forevermore. Don't you let the last thing be how sad we are that I'm gone. I'm glad you're going to be shedding a tear, but we're going to be together soon. And you bring everybody back to that church and you worship me there, worship God there and celebrate with me how good he is. And people sang, man. We don't grieve like people who have no hope. We don't deal with death like people who go, well, we have no idea what's on the other side. We know exactly what's on the other side. Jesus. He's waiting for us with arms open. It's why we care so much that people know Christ. For apart with him, they do not have eternal life. They'll be separated from him forever in hell. It's why we share this message. It's why we want to make sure the people we love know him. Because we want them to be together with Jesus as well. So I'd like to have a word of prayer for us today. And ask God to give us peace. That though we live in a fallen world and we will all die, in the midst of death, we can talk about life. In the midst of sorrow, we can find joy. And in the midst of grief, we can find hope. Would you pray with me, please? Father, it's one of the greatest truths of the Bible. Lord, you turned death inside out. The grave was not strong enough to hold you. You rose again. And Father, not only did you rise again, you raised your friend Lazarus. You're stronger than death, and you will call forth all those. One day, Lord, we will all rise. And Lord, if you come before we die, then we'll meet those who have passed away before us. We'll meet them in the clouds, and we'll be together with you forever. I thank you for these marvelous promises of Scripture, Lord. I thank you that as believers, we can face the future unafraid. We can talk about things that other people are afraid to even mention. And Father, I pray that you will give us courage. In just a moment of silence, if you haven't thanked God lately for Jesus being stronger than the grave, would you thank him right now and say, God, I thank you that you overcame death. If you haven't told him lately, Lord, I believe that you're the resurrection. I believe that you're the life. Just silently right where you are, say, Lord, I believe. And if there's someone you need to pray for right now that they would know Jesus, would you pray for them and say, God, I just want to pray for my sister. I want to pray for my cousin. I want to pray for someone, Lord, who doesn't know you. I want them to know you the same way I know you, and I want them to have the same hope I have. Pray for one other person right now. Oh God, I pray that each one of us would have the same attitude that Paul had. That to live is to live for Christ and to die is even better. So when our time comes, we will be unafraid. I pray, Lord, that we will have our house in order. And Lord, if you come day, one day soon to take us all home, we'll be ready then too. 
Give us courage. Fill our hearts with hope. Hope that comes from Jesus. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. The name that is above every other name. In that strong name we pray. Amen.